Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Tom Miller. I am the uh, founder of Leaders Building Leaders, an organization that uh, strives to be the, the uh, difference maker in the leadership development of individuals and organizations. And this is such an exciting call. I'm here, as always, with my, with my friends and my business partner, Katie Reidenauer. And we are just fresh off of a week of time uh, at the John Maxwell Conference being surrounded uh, by 3,000 uh, like-minded leaders looking to change uh, the world, be it an impact in their community. So Katie, say, say hello. Hello, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. This, I mean, what a, what a great event, right, uh, Katie? I mean, what's, what's it like oh, for yeah. you? This, is, this was your second uh, International Maxwell Conference uh, to go to. It was my eighth, but what's it like for you to, to walk into that environment with, with all those like-minded people? It is just an explosion of energy and so many great ideas. Um, I needed a lot of time just to sit and process them all. Uh, about how I can implement them in the important work that we do every day. Yeah, and and this one we had a special guest, uh, Carly Fiorina, a former CEO of Hewlett Packard and uh, presidential candidate. Right, a lot of people uh, may know her from from there, and Dr. Cialdini, who's who's the who's the um, who's you know pretty much the author of Persuasion. Right, he's he's his you know book is the the psychology of persuasion. Plus, you know John Maxwell, obviously the author of over a hundred uh, books, and, and I, I think he said that he sold. 30 million copies, maybe more, uh, but he was, he's about to eclipse that, that goal where um, he'll, he'll have 11 books that have sold a million copies and he'll be the only person uh, to have that. So, so exciting, yeah, wow. uh, his uh, faculty and in all these, you know, 50 different countries. So anyway, you know, whatever uh, uh, business you're in, whatever um, mission-driven institute that you, that you work for, whether it's a school or a nonprofit, uh, you know, to walk into a room and, and be surrounded by uh, 3,000 uh, like, like-minded people for you know, four, four or five days is just, is just incredible. So what Katie and I wanted to do is we wanted to try to bring that energy and those, those thoughts to you because not everybody is able uh, to come. Uh, so we had uh, brainstormed doing. I said, hey, why don't we pull our best, you know, five or six uh, teaching points and 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 let's invest an hour of time uh, on a Saturday morning and let's let's you know share that with everybody. So so you know, if you don't know about the John Maxwell team, it's a uh, it's the fastest growing and it's the largest actually leadership company in the world now. Uh, when I joined back in 2014, there was only 4,000 members. Now there's 24,000 uh, members in that in that time. But um, you know, a little bit about how I got to here and to be uh, you know the owner of 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 uh, my company now was you know after I got done my doctoral program in 2011, I started a brand new job with the Department of Public Instruction, as you know, Katie, and and so just mm-hmm. that. Moving from being a principal to a statewide consultant was its own growth, you know. Like, so I had my dissertation, which was my baby for years, and that was its own growth plan because I was really in graduate coursework for seven years in a row, almost between my graduates, uh, my masters, and my um, uh, doctoral. Right, so I kind of had this consistent plan, and then and then when I got to DPI, the growth was automatic in a sense because it was just a new job, new understanding, but it wasn't intentional. Right, so once I kind of got a little bit more comfortable in my DPI job, I recognized that I wasn't I wasn't really growing, 
You know, I was just kind of hmm. doing. You know, I was just doing. I wasn't growing. I wasn't intentional. So that's when I started to, to you know, seek out uh, who's, you know, who's out there. You know, I was definitely reading books. I was reading a lot of quotes. I was creating professional development. And John Maxwell was one of them. And I actually never read any of his books until after I joined uh, the John Maxwell team and invested in this, this uh, lifelong program, which is funny. But the only reason I joined actually is in January of 2014, I got a, um, my, my mid-year um, evaluation. My boss told me, I don't know how much longer I can keep you, and I don't know how to grow you. Hmm. Right? Wow. And I said, like, oh, yeah, what's that? I don't even know what that means. Uh, so within about a month of that time was when I really started to dig deep. Right? That was that the recognition of, uh, yeah, I'm not really growing. You know, I'm just kind of maintaining. And um, so I, got, I was getting this Minute with Maxwell uh, video at the time. So anybody can get that. You can just Google Minute with Maxwell. And every single day you'll get a, a 60 second video from John on a word, right? You know, like persistence or focus or collaboration, whatever it is. And it's off the cuff. We've actually watched him record a bunch, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so any day, uh, you know, so that's you know, something I would highly recommend if you're just looking for a daily inspirational um, you know, piece, grab that. But it turned into kind of this, John was talking to me. You know, he's like, do you not have a growth plan? Do you want to be more and do more? You know, he just started. I was like, John's talking to me. Uh, so I called and, and uh, you know, joined pretty much like that because I'm an I on a, this personality profile, which we'll talk about. So I'm easily, I'm easily impressed and I'm very impressionable. Um, so you know, I joined and, and started to get into this lifelong growth certification program to be a coach, trainer, speaker. Uh, and then a couple months after that, I was, I don't know if you ever watched Shark Tank, Katie, uh, but oh, yeah. uh, Robert uh, 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 Perkovich, who's, who's actually speaking in Charlotte soon, I may, I may go see him, uh, but, he, but he, was, he told a story about how when he was a CEO, he, was, he, was, he had a lot of great ideas, but he was just comfortable. Yeah. And then he got fired, and he became uncomfortable very fast. It took me right back <laughs> to that conversation in January, and he said, uh, I'll never let someone else dictate the cap on my life, right? And that right there, I jumped off the couch. I said to my wife, I said, that's me. I'm comfortable in this cushy, cubicle job. And, you know, I need to do more. Uh, so that was it. We, right. we took out a piece of scrap paper and started to write out a plan. We had about 103 days till uh, July 1st. That was the plan to, to jump and build, build my wings in the way down or out or whichever way. And, and that was it. And um, since then, I've been on a um, skyrocketing to growth, which you've been a big part of that, Katie. Thank you. And, and we've worked oh, with over you. 100 organizations across the country, and it's so fun and get to travel to, I mean, we've seen Montana and Seaside, Florida, and recently I was in Denver, Colorado speaking, and Indiana. I mean, places I would have never traveled to probably on my own if it wasn't for the opportunity uh, that John Maxwell team gave me, but really about what we do, right, which is help organizations or individuals that are feeling stuck uh, get right. to that get to that next level. So, so you joined a couple of years ago. What was your what was your uh, story? Why did you join? Well, just like Herkovich's story about how somebody was putting a cap on on their potential, I was in that same place in August of 2017. I had just stepped down from a leading a school that I opened. I was the, I'm the founder of that school, and we had just come to a place where I needed to step down. 
So I was looking for direction. You know, I had to figure out what my next step was. And uh, so I reached out to you, Tom, and you had been my, my mentor. I don't know if you knew that, but you were my mentor. And I said, okay, so tell me about this John Maxwell. I was just looking for some direction. And I knew that I could not be in Charlotte on the first day of school. I wanted to be somewhere where I was growing and investing in myself. And so on the day I walked into the John Maxwell conference, this is the song I walked into. I got the feeling And the room was pounding with this song. This is yeah. the same song that the best day of my my principal life was playing and it was when we did a peace night at my school and everybody was happy and it was every family our gymnasium was packed with people the kids were on fire and it was a highlight of my principal career so when I walked in I was like okay I'm on to something I am in the right place with the right people and then once I sat down and started the learning and the interacting it was confirmed I knew wow. I was going to be be fed to grow and um, and move you move forward. Uh, so it was just exactly what I needed at the right time. Wow, that's so awesome! I, I didn't know that. And uh, so thanks for sharing <laughs> that story. And and if you know if you're out there on the call, whether you're listening live or on an archive, um, if you're Facebook friends with me, I actually Facebook live the opening a couple of times of of each day. Right, each day is exactly what Katie just described as a couple thousand people standing on chairs waving you in. There's beach balls flying. There's music. There's dancers. It's, it's nothing like it's being incredible. in education. It's nothing like <laughs> I've ever experienced before. I love it. I love being a part of it. So that's one of Katie's eyes goals is to bring that energy and environment back into education because what an important, I mean, gosh, you've got the, you've got the leaders of the next generation's in your hands, and so why why shouldn't they be treated like a royalty? But enough about us, Katie. There's you know people on the call, so let's you know let's get started. Uh, but great great share there. So this is I just love this lesson. You know I heard what you're going to talk about. It's going to be awesome. I mean we could probably talk for eight hours. I got so many pages of notes, so we'll try to keep it <laughs> oh, contained yeah. and to the point. Because you know some of you you know may want to dig uh, deeper. Right? So I'll give you, you know, I'll share with you at the end of the call an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper with us. Um, and there's also going to be a great free gift uh, for everybody on, on the call as well. I'll share how to get that free gift. But um, the really, you know, we would love to be a part of your growth uh, journey. So one day you're leading a call or you're telling a story about someone else, about how a song right, or an image or a person spoke to you, uh, whether directly or indirectly. Uh, for you to want to be more uh, and and achieve more. So, so with that, Katie, why don't you tell your first uh, teaching point uh, that just your you know your first big takeaway? Go ahead. Sure, sure. So this one was from Carly Fiorina. Man, I mean, she's a presence to behold. She sat with uh, John Maxwell, and they just had a dialogue about leadership. And then there was this really powerful question and answer session afterwards. But she started the conversation about how to implement a new idea. And if you're the leader of an organization, a school, it's all about implementing new ideas because, as John always says, you know, a leader sees more and a leader sees before 
So a leader must possess courage, is what Carly told us. You, know, you have to be willing to, to see more before everybody else. And because without courage, you can't sustain the criticism and the complaints. And they're going to come. The criticism and the complaints are going to come. And this resistance to change always looks the same. That's what she told us. It always looks the same. So expect it. Don't be surprised by it. Don't think, you know, once you get through one set of resistance that you're done. We're never going to have resistance again. Nope. You're always going to have resistance. And the face of it is common. So get to know them, and, and then you'll be able to respond to them. So this is how she broke it down. She said that resistance will come in the form of three types of people. So resistance will come in the form of three types of people. Now the first one, these are the folks on your team already. These are the change warriors. They make up about 20% of the people, and these are the ones who are diving in trying to solve the problems. Right? They're already wearing your T-shirt. They're drinking your Kool-Aid already. You, you, know, you just have to keep them motivated, keep fueling their tank. Those are your change warriors. Now troublemakers, the active resistors. These are the people who are heavily invested in the status quo and they have power within that status quo. So your new idea, your great innovation is threatening the status quo. You're threatening their very status in the organization. Their motto, hell no, we won't go. They make up about 20% of your group. Those are the active resistors. So you have your change warriors, 20%, active resistors, 20%. So we're not even halfway through your organization yet, right? And we're on to the third one. These are your skeptics. So the third group are your skeptics. These are the people who are sitting on the sidelines waiting to see if there is going to be a change. You know, Tom and I have talked about our leadership styles when we were principals, and we both implemented a lot of new problems. I mean, not a lot of new problems, a lot of new ideas. So like, hey, this week we're going to try this, and next week we're going to try that. So the skeptics are the ones no, saying, Katie, okay, we'll Katie, see. Katie, you were right. They yeah. were problems. They were problems. We were implementing <laughs> problems. What do you mean? You're, you're right on there. Yeah, Tom, Tom, really Tom was the problem king. It's right. Hey, here's a problem, everybody. Let me throw another problem on top of it for you to solve. Yeah, Sorry to interrupt, but that, but that was funny. You know, no, that was, that was true. <laughs> yeah, you don't have enough. Let me throw enough on your pile. Something else. So the, so the skeptics are the ones that are like, okay, let's see how long this lasts. And these people make up about 60% of your group, right? So that's more than the half, right? So if you can anticipate what those skeptics are going to need, right? What do they need to see? What do they need to hear? What do they need to know in order to get on board with this new idea, this new innovation? That's when change happens. When you get the skeptics moving, change happens. But think about it. Tom, where do leaders usually put their energy? Who do they give oh, they their put, time and energy to? Yeah, to the bottom, to the very yeah, bottom people. Those, act, those active resistors, the ones who are saying, mm -hmm. oh, no, this is a dumb idea. Why would we do this? It's going to actually hurt our kids. We think, well, if we can get those active resistors on board, then we can make some change. But what Carly was telling us was that if we can get the skeptics on board, you know, if we invest in them, we send them to the trainings, we teach them the model, we, t we coach them, 
then we will create some momentum. And that's when the active resistors say, hell, I might as well go. Right? That's when they change their mind. But a lot of leaders spend their time and their energy on those active resistors. And it becomes yeah. a war. It doesn't, you don't create that momentum. So yeah, let, me, uh, let me go back. Hold, hold, hold your spot because you made a really, really great point about we, 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 we try to change people. Yes. You can't change anybody. People are who people are, right? Change is, is inevitable, but growth is optional, right? So what, so what I hear you saying and what you know, Carly was sharing is it's really about building influence with your uh, skeptics, right, and showing them the way because the skeptics are going to choose, right? They're going to choose which way based upon who has the most influence, right? right? Not, not necessarily who... Um, so yeah, so that was a big learning for me, and I really loved that point you just made, and you know Carly obviously uh, about uh, building influence with skeptics by getting close to them. So I know you're going to talk more about that. So go ahead, keep going. But that that's a really important point that everybody hopefully just wrote down is about you know who are those skeptics, and how do I build influence with them? Not 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 change them. You can't, you can't change anybody. People can only change themselves. So go ahead, Katie. Right, right. So you're exactly right. And you have to think about how can I build influence with the skeptics? Because those active resistors, they are already fighting you, right? But the skeptics are on the fence. It is so much easier to kind of tip someone over onto your side of the fence mm -hmm. than it is to pull someone over a fence. So, you know, go with the folks <laughs> that you can just tip over, <laughs> right? Because right? mm -hmm. they just need a little bit. So I have an example. You know, so my former school, you know, every Friday we had an assembly. The whole school was there from kindergarten, and our school went to fourth grade that year, so K-4. And... You know, in my mind, I wanted the kids walking down the hall, quietly, you know, no talking, just having a peaceful moment. It seemed very idyllic. We had an outdoor campus, so everybody would be outside in nature hearing the birds, and that's how I wanted it to happen. Well, the active resistors were like, there's no way I can get my kids to do that. Um, and so I, all I did was I decided I was going to show up. I was going to be was outside the door of the gymnasium, and I was going to be there to greet them silently to model what I wanted to see every Friday. And, you know, throughout the week, I would always, you know, motion to them silently because if I want silence and I talk to them, I'm sending the wrong message. So I... You know, I would stand out there and I'd wave and I'd give a thumbs up to the classes that were doing a great job. And, and then I would, you know, pull, if there was a child talking, I would just pull them to stand by me to observe the classes coming in. You know, if they were talking or kind of running down the hall. And, and then I, and once everybody was in, I'd say, you know, what did you just see? You know, what, what, what would I like to see from you? Why do you think I pulled you over here? And then I'd talk with that teacher afterwards during their planning period and say, okay, let's, let's problem solve. Let's figure out ways for you to, you know, make sure you're leading your classroom because teachers are leaders of their classroom. They have to believe that it's possible. They have to have the vision. Um, so if they don't believe in my vision, they're not going to have that vision in the classroom. So week after week we did this, and the skeptics soon saw that I was serious. 
and and I created challenges for their students to do the right thing um, because it was the right thing to do. I didn't want them to do it because Miss Katie wanted them to do it or because their teacher wanted them to do it. I wanted them to do it because it was the right thing to do. So the active resistors, you know, they still said, they just can't do it. And I said, as long as you believe that, you're right. And I said, what have we not tried? And that's when the, we would get together and we'd problem solve. What do those kids need? How can you anticipate their needs before they have to go out of the classroom? Mm -hmm. And we just kept talking about it and trying new strategies. And by October, you know, so barely two months into the school year, we had all classes walking calmly and silently to the gym. And it was because those skeptics, they started using my plan, like having everybody go to the bathroom before <laughs> before we went, and right. doing calming techniques before they left their classroom, you know, and setting the expectation, and that they would talk about it after the after we all got together in the gym. How did that go? What could we do better? And helping the students be part of the solution. And then we noticed over time that our hallways became very quiet and just peaceful. We the kids would talk about the birds singing. The kids were happy, the teachers were happy, but I had to get those skeptics on board first to build that sure. momentum. And once they were on board, the status quo changed. And mm. those active resistors, they were losing clout. They were heard, mm. you know, they, their negative words were heard as just whining. And they found a way to follow the directions because they didn't want to lose their status within their group. So mm. if you can... Get those skeptics on board. You have the change warriors. The change warriors, their kids came out the first day silent, no problem. <laughs> the skeptics, their kids were okay, but we still had some talking. But after a little bit of, you know, modeling and problem solving, they were on board. And then the active resistors joined us. And, and then the, the whole school was, was following um, the path. But it took that that, that uh, tactical approach to to get to that success. Yeah, I love that, and and so I'm I'm diving in my notes here as you're as you're talking because I loved what Carly said. She said leaders challenge the way things are. Mm -hmm. They challenge the status quo, and they're always asking, "How can we get better faster?" Right? But they don't let problems you know, sit there and get stale and uh, pester up, right, and, and grow, they immediately right. address it, right? That's, that's the difference between good leaders and great leaders is that, you know, the universe likes speed and action. Right. You know, it doesn't want things to get moldy. And, and, and so, what, so what I love is that uh, you did is that, um, you know, anyone, everyone in your organization is a leader, right? So all those skeptics and all those resistors, are leaders just like the change warriors, right? But right. see, not everybody chooses to lead. Right? So your right. job as the leader, what you were doing, Katie, is that you were unlocking the potential of the skeptics by asking them questions and getting them to build their awareness of, hey, this is a better way, right? Oh, look how much more easier you know, transitions are, or you know, you know, I mean, whatever it is, that's that's your job as leaders to unlock the potential uh, in in everyone. So I love I love that first uh, point, and and so we've had a bunch of people join us on the call. So if you m missed the beginning, 
Um, I'm Tom Miller, and I'm here with my uh, partner, friend, and teammate, Katie Reidenauer. Uh, so we're talking about uh, what we learned at the John Maxwell Conference. So each of you has access. You can hit star 6 on your phone, and, 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 and then the number 1, it will you know, prompt you. If you want to come in and ask a question while we're talking, that's perfectly fine. If there's something right there, and we'll give Q&A time at the end, but I want to make sure you know a, that you're on the right call, right? Who you're listening to, and you know, uh, B, if you know, can I ask a question? And of course, you can absolutely, uh, you know, do that. So star six gets you into that uh, queue if you have a question. So, so that was that was a great uh, point. And and so I've got these three notes. I don't know if you wrote these down, Katie, but um, what I just heard you say was my three exact takeaways from Carly was to no. pick a problem, <laughs> to pick a problem that you can touch. Yeah. Right. Remember, yeah. you know, don't don't just grab the problem that's way out of your reach because it's going to be too far. It's going to be disheartening. Pick a problem right. you can touch, find a change warrior, and show the progress. Right. Communicate that progress. And I love. Right. It. I think that was my biggest takeaway from Carly was pick a problem you can touch, find a change warrior, and show that progress as you're communicating. And, and, and that's what you're doing. You were showing that by October we had this problem solved. And it was, it was better, and you didn't have to be in charge for it anymore. Right. We could talk about what a transition looked like in your classroom using those, that mm -hmm. same language, because they were already successful in the hallway. So when they had their kids going from the desks to the rug, it was used, we used the same language, the same concepts. And so we started seeing that peace in the hallways, the peace in the classroom, and the academic success that came out of it. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, that kind of builds right into my uh, first teaching point that was so important to me. Um, and I'll just start with this. This might be a pain point for everybody on the call. I know it's a pain point for me, but uh, being frustrated with the amount of time that I was spending solving low-level problems for everybody else, right? So if you're in an organization and if you're the head of the organization or one of the, and you've got, or, you know, or maybe just have some direct reports, being bombarded with the challenges of everybody else, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> when I was younger in my leadership, uh, I loved that because I had the answer <laughs> for everybody, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, bring me your problem. I'll solve it. Right? I was, I was, uh, I was a vanilla ice. Right? Wasn't that? Uh, you know, show me a problem, and I'll solve it or whatever. And that was right. how I wanted. And that's how I wanted to survive. But then I realized that's exhausting. Right? I mean, the number of emails per day, the number of like, you know, people coming to you about little things, and and I was like, you know, seriously, you know. So, Christian Simpson who is, he's our coach coach, right? He's the one who teaches us and certifies us how to be coaches. He said, um, oh gosh, this was amazing, Katie. And you were not in the room for this, so I wanted to make sure that we, we talked about this. He said, ultimately the goal as a leader is to create a non-dependent, high-performing culture. Yeah. Non-dependent, yeah. high-performing culture. And when he said that, I was just going to run up the stage like, okay, you got me. Tell me more. What's that feel like? <laughs> a non-dependent, high-performing culture. So as a leader, as, as Katie just already pointed out, what you know Carly shared, your number one responsibility is the uh, development of your business or school or organization through people. I didn't say your number one job is to uh, develop the business. <laughs> 
by yourself because that's not a business. That's a hobby uh, or a school, right? Uh, that's a silo, right? You're operating as a silo. You're a one shop, you know, schoolhouse. You're like Little House in a Prairie, right? Wasn't that just one, one, you know, one house, one teacher with like a thousand kids? Uh, right, right. Through through people. So to do this. You must ensure that people have the time, the resources, the autonomy, and the clarity to think through and solve problems. Ah. So, to be, so, it, so the, the way that he talks about to get there is that you, you cannot be an effective leader without the ability to coach people, right? So they can do that. So they can solve problems on earth, so that they can think for themselves, so they can, so they can bring ideas to the organization to improve. And right. it made me think about, you know, in your organization, if, if you, let's say you and the number two person are the only ones bringing ideas to the table, guess what? You're in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> because, you're just going to get a bunch of complaints. Yeah, you know? that's right. I mean, you, you can't <laughs> be the idea people for everything. And no. so, so what he was saying, so as a, as a coaching leader, right, and so, so we have a, a coaching program because this is something that we, that we identified is that um, with the organizations we work with, you know, schools mostly, is that principals wanted to develop their teachers but didn't have the time to develop their teachers because they're so busy in the business, right? They're so busy in the school doing administrivia and putting out fires. Like, hey, you know what these other schools have? They have coaches, Let's just hire a coach, Katie. Let's just hire a coach, and that'll solve my curriculum problem. Right, right. But then what happens is they promote their highest performing teacher into a coach position because that's what the teachers always want to do. Yeah, I want to help other teachers. I want to grow them. Yeah, great. You know what? You got the job. The academic part is yours. You're going to do all these observations. But the one most important that they leave out is that they didn't get some training to be a coach, right? You can't just coach. Um, you have to be taught how to coach, right, and, 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 and to do it effectively. So ultimately what happens is the Peter principle. And the Peter principle is at some point everybody's going to be promoted into incompetence. Right. So we see that a lot in education. Or, you know, uh, people are uh, promoted, like the best teacher becomes coaches or assistant principals or whatever it is, and all of a sudden they're in a job where they're working hard, hard, hard because that's what they did to get here, but they don't have the, they're not equipped, right, to be able to coach and communicate and, you know, strategize and, and, and be visionary, right, and all those things that they have to do, and then, and then they get, you know, and then there's uh, frustration. So, so what you know, Christian was talking about this, and we've we've helped a lot of you know we've 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 run a, a few dozen leaders through our coaching program, and it's great. And then, but then he said something that that punched me in the eye. He said, "To be an effective coaching leader, it's ninety nine percent of who you are, mm-hmm. and one percent of the process you utilize." And I was like, "Oh, mm. that goes back to growth." <laughs> And it goes character. back to the growth and character, <laughs> growth and character, and right. And does your um, I'm going to pull John's uh, John's uh, quote here. Oh, let me see if I get excited about the the walk. Walk and talk to. Let's see where it is. Oh man, I lost it. Back. Oh, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Right. Your talk talks and your walk talks, wow. but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. 
I was like, oh my gosh, it's not just about promoting someone, teaching them to be a coach. They have to be an incredible character person because remember, leadership is influence, not a title. So even though you promote someone to coach, and maybe even if you give them the training to be a coach, they still need to be an influencer to be that change warrior that you need them to be, like Carly was describing. Right? So right. one, you've got to give people time, autonomy, authority, and responsibility to solve problems. Right? Solving the problem as close, you know, getting as close to the problem as possible, right? and that's boots on the ground people. Then you have to equip them with, with coaching knowledge, right? how to be able to, to think and, and to get people to think for themselves. But then you also have to have a, a personalized growth plan. Right? You've got to make sure everybody's growing to be able to be that influential coaching leader uh, that you need. So, so your organization, <clears throat> the results will always come. So whether you're talking about you as a person or you as an organization, your results will come through your best thinking. So if you're not getting great results, you can go back to the thinking. Right? Are mm-hmm. we getting the same results because we're thinking the same? Right? The same level of a thought is going to basically create this. And that's, I think I heard that's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and <laughs> expecting different results. That's what Einstein um, and, said. Yeah, so coaching is a way to unearth the genius in people. So, you know, that was something that was really, but that 99%, 1% was so important to me, right? So it's so important to have a consistent plan for growth for yourself personally and to make sure that you're, that your walk talk matches your talk talk, right? And and so make sure you know because people do what uh, people see, not what they hear, and and right. and so it's it's all these parts. But this but this one you know part about giving people think time, equipping them, unleashing their genius, and 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 making sure that there's a clear vision, right, and uh, parameters uh, to get there. But giving them that, and that's how you start to create this non-dependent, high-performing culture. So I think that was maybe the shortest session I went to, but the most powerful for me in a sense of watching why our coaching clients, right, or the, our you know, strategic thinking uh, partners that we work with struggle is because of a couple of those. One, uh, no, it's, it's not high-level thinking. There's not a lot of ideas coming from everybody to solve problems. They're waiting. They're waiting to be told the uh, solution instead of being part of the thinking through process. And then, and then, then the culture, right? Because the culture isn't what people hear; it's what you know people do. And so, so the culture impacts the fact that whether people listen to you or not. Again, right. going back to the resistors versus versus the change warriors. So that was my uh, number one teaching point. Love it, love it, and you know that makes well it makes me think of a lot of different things. But um, it makes me think of a school we've had the privilege to work with there, an A school here in uh, near Charlotte, and that leader always says that she wants the kids to do the right things even when no one's watching, and that's their mm-hmm. motto, and and that's what that's what all school leaders want. But it's just a path to get there. So you know, someone asked Carly this question. Um, you know, how do I get people to do what they've been hired to do? And this is really where you saw her brilliance shine. You know, she, um, you know, because she, she didn't know this question was coming. And, and this makes me think of the conversations I've had with so many school leaders. They say, Katie, why won't they do 
the job that they've been hired to do. They have a contract. It lays out exactly what they're supposed to do. Why don't they do it? So basically, these principals are asking about accountability. You know, and in, in a perfect world, each employee would hold him or herself accountable for the responsibilities they've been given. But that's not leadership, just having someone sign a contract. Leadership requires more than simply having expectations. So, you know, Carly's answer to the question, what's it like to work here? And this goes right back to what you were saying, what, what Christian said to create that non-dependent, high-performing culture, right? That's really what these principles are looking for. So when someone said, what's it like, or, you know, when someone asked her this question, she, she replied with a question. She said, well, why don't you ask your team, what's it like to work here? You know, you could ask one-on-one, -on -one, you could ask in a small group, but you'll get the best answers in an anonymous survey. You know, that's when people are going to be brutally honest. You know, so ask the leaders, ask the, every stakeholder, teachers, students, parents, and, and ask, what's it like to work here, to learn here, to be a part of this school, to be part of this organization? You know, she says this is demonstrating that the soft skills are actually the hard skills, right? To, to hear the hard responses, the, the truths, those are really the hard skills that leaders have to have, is to be able to hear it and respond to it. So she said when you're having conversations about what it's like to work here, don't, the leader should not talk through the conversation. Instead, the leader should ask questions. Ask questions, and this encourages your people to think and to feel a part of the process. Don't defend your answers, right? We, we've talked to school leaders who get really defensive when we start bringing the truths we heard from their school back to them. Instead, ask questions to find out where the needs are. Because what you're doing is you're creating an understanding of current state, right? So you have to know where you are before you can get to where you want to go, to that future state. So once you have the current state, then you can create a plan. So create, create a knowing of your current state, and then you can plot your future. So back at the school where I led, uh, at the end of the first year, we sat down with our discipline data because we really wanted to understand, you know, who was making bad choices and how could we help those kids make choices that would help them to be successful. And we saw that there were five kids who pretty much got in trouble every week. They were in the office. There was, they, they had some sort of disciplinary issue about every week. So, you know, we're educators, but we're not always fast learners, you know. But, also, so, but once we looked at the data, we were able to see our current state, our current reality. Um, these kids were not buying what we were selling. So we had to repackage our offering. We had to figure out how to make our school environment a more successful place for them. And we ended up doing it not just for those five students, but for all students. Those students were just the, you know, they were the red flags saying that our system needed to be changed, overhauled. So we adopted a practice called restorative practices. We trained all the teachers and staff. We hired a behavioral facilitator to, to help manage this program and, and to really be the leader of it. And so let me just give you an example of how this worked. We had two boys who decided that they were going to make each other's lives miserable. 
that when they saw each other, they just hated each other, and they called each other's names. They they left one other one another out of games during recess. They would punch each other every once in a while. They just really made their classroom environment miserable, and we couldn't move them because we only had one third grade class, so we couldn't even separate them because we just had the one one third grade class. So we we facilitated a conversation at the school level with the guidance counselor, the behavior facilitator, the teacher, and me, and the two boys. And, and the behavior improved briefly, but then it escalated again. So we decided to go to the nuclear option, which is a restorative meeting with both families. Now, if you don't know anything about restorative practices, this is a practice that started in prisons, right? So you're like, wow, you're comparing schools to prisons. No, they're just organizations and humans trying to get along. And you know, our prisons are nothing but um, kind of a microcosm of culture and reflection of that. So, so they have found that when you can bring in the, the prisoner's family, their support team, then they're more likely to come up with solutions that they'll commit to and really change behaviors from. So we invited the families in. You have to get buy-in from both sets of parents or you can't hold the meeting because it's not going to work. But luckily, these parents agreed to come. They even brought some siblings. So we had everybody there from the school side. We had the teacher, the guidance counselor, behavior facilitator. I was the principal. We had the boys and both sets of parents and siblings. Uh, so we broke bread together. That's the first step um, because this, you know, this reminds us of our universal humanity, right? When you eat with people, you just have a common bond. So then we, we went through a scripted dialogue that our guidance counselor had prepared. Um, and each person spoke, shared concerns, and made commitments. The parents, the kids, I made commitments, everybody did to support these boys. The, and the boys saw our love for them, and they heard our serious concerns. You know, the boys admitted that they really didn't even know each other. But boy number one thought that boy number two was a show-off because he always had on different shoes and fancy clothes. And boy number two thought that boy number one thought he was the coolest kid in class because he was kind of a quiet kid who, who did have kind of a cool demeanor. The other kids were attracted to him. So by understanding the current state, everybody, parents, you know, administrators, teachers, then we were able to create a path for a future state with these boys that included them not disrupting class. They, you know, it worked. They did not have another disagreement that school year, and they both improved academically. In fact, boy number two, the cool kid, improved from a one that uh, our map testing, our, our benchmarks showed that he was going to earn a one on the end of grade test. He ended up getting a three. So he didn't just jump one level, he jumped two to being on grade level. So understanding the current state helped lead to a healthier and much happier future state for both of those boys, the teacher, and us at the administration level. So, you know, like Carly said, if if you are, you know, wondering why people will not do what you've hired them to do. You know, and you want your, if your solution is well, you should just do it because it's your job. Just accept that that is not going to work. That is not leadership. Leadership is being able to sit down and ask the hard questions 
what is it like to work here, to listen to those answers, and to define a current state, and then define that future state, and then you, you can create the, the path to get there, just like those boys they did. And, and now they have that skill for the rest of their life. They'll know how to have that conversation and to move forward. Yeah, I think that's so important about building, building that future vision, right? And, and the leader's number one job is to define the current reality. And, mm-hmm. and so we, we can't be afraid of the current reality. The reality is what it is. And if you as a leader think that the people can't see the faults or flaws or problems in the organization, you yourself are uh, you know, delusional. Because they know them, they see them. So, so you know, start from where you are. Going back to that point that we already said, find the problem that you can touch. Right? Don't just try to solve, you know, you know, the problem by like. I'm a big believer in if you want to be more, you have to see more. Right? That's your vision. But the challenge is, is when we try to immediately through instant gratification get from where I am to where someone else is without going through the journey leads, leads to failure. It just does. Right. Failure and frustration and confusion. And, and, and oh, it just doesn't work. Right? And then you just start to blame others. Right? You just blame everything else for your uh, challenges. So you've got to be good at current state. Right? That's, the, that's the humility. That's the transparency. That's, that's where everybody grows from. And then what, but this is where we're going, everybody. I want to go there, but there are steps. What, what can we touch now? We can touch mm-hmm. this good. Let's solve this problem first, which, which you, you, know, you may think real quick. I was, I was looking at John's rule of five that he shared. <laughs> he shared to, to know what you want to accomplish, right? right? So that's the vision. No, step one is to know what you want to accomplish. Step two is to have the right tools. Step three is to stay focused, Right? Mm. So he, he told the story about if you, want, if you want to stay warm in the winter and you have a, you know, my dad has a, his whole house is warmed by a fireplace. Like, yes, he, it's that archaic. He, he, he's, he's a farmer. <laughs> and yes, he has to wake up in the middle of the night to put logs on a fire. It cracks me up. But, but if he wants to chop down a tree, he's not going to go to a tree, hit it a couple times, and go to the tree next to it, hit it a couple times, go to the next tree. Hit it a he's just going to have a lot of trees who needs Band-Aids, right? He's going to have a lot of scarred right. trees. Instead of just every day, I would know that I want to be warm. I have sharpened my axe. I'm going to go to the same tree, right? Those are the first three steps. Stay focused. It's the same tree. You can't quit your way to the top, right? You can't quit your way to get that tree to, to top over. And be consistent, right? So every day, but not all day. And I think that's a, that's a mistake that leaders make is they get so immersed in a problem that they spend days and days and days and days and days on it, and they get exhausted, right? So they're like, after four days of doing it all day, they're like, ah, screw it. It doesn't work, right? That's <laughs> you know, like a diet program or an exercise program. You know, so it's about the consistency, so chop on the same tree five minutes every day and don't stop until you're finished. Right? When that tree falls over, then you can go to the next one. Right? And, 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 and this is really important is to, is to keep this rule of five in your strength zones and you're going to really excel. Mm, you can put this right. rule of five in your areas for growth. You're never going to turn it into a strength. It will be better. Right? You can 
you know, manage it, right? Because you're supposed to manage your areas for growth, manage your weaknesses. But I love this rule five. So know what you want to accomplish, have the right tools, stay focused, be consistent, and don't stop until you're finished. If I would have had that rule five, and if someone would have held, held me accountable to it when I was a principal, <laughs> I guarantee, or even now as a business owner, I, I know I would be higher performing, and the organization would be higher performing, and my people would have been much happier with me rather than, Tom, we just knocked that tree almost down. It's so close. Why are you on this new tree? Because this new tree is fun. Right? Let's go to this new tree. And that's what right. we do. We don't stay focused. So I love that. Well, Tom, I know you know, you, that, is okay. a, that is the recipe for, for writing a book. And I am so lucky that I ran into that advice when I wanted to write my first book was, you mm. know, you have to have a vision and then show up every day. And even if it's just 30 minutes, you sh so people are like, Katie, how have you written four books? And I said, well, I followed the process. And I'm just dumb enough to follow the process. I didn't question it. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just showed up every day and I followed the process and, until I had what I wanted. Um, and that's just you know, true as leadership in any part of your life. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I know you wanted to talk about this. You know, we've got about... 10, you know, 10 to 15 minutes left. You want to, you want to hit a top of the wave uh, disc, disc part that you learned. You got to, you just got disc uh, certified, and, and you know, we got to, to meet and learn uh, from the gentleman who uh, certified us. So there was, there was one point you wanted to hit on disc. Go ahead and, go ahead and hit that. I did. I did. So Sandy Culkin was there, and he uh, talked with Paul Martinelli, who's one of um, Tom and my mentors, who's fantastic. And so what he talked about was. Uh, you know, he gave us some insight into working with, with people. And, of course, DISC is a personality assessment that, you know, Tom and I are both certified in. And, you know, but, but just to bring it down, if you haven't done the DISC personality assessment and you'd like to, you can talk to us about that later. But, uh, but I want to give you some um, insight now. He said that each one of us, each one of the personalities has a fear. And we have to address these fears in order to get people to buy in to a new program or to even do the job they were hired to do. Um, and so each personality style, there are four basic styles, have a fear. Uh, the first one is being taken advantage of. You know, nobody likes to be taken advantage of. Um, the second one is being rejected. There's also losing security or being criticized. So when you're developing a program, think, okay, how can I make sure people know I'm not going to take advantage of them, they're not going to be rejected if they do it incorrectly, they won't lose security if they try this, and they won't be criticized if they give this a shot and it fails. So, you know, he's encouraging us to get to know our teams by addressing these fears head on. So when you're crafting a new idea, address each fear by sharing how you'll appreciate the hard work, right? Because you're going to have these like me, the dominant personality um, who's going to work really hard. And, and if you don't notice it, they're going to think, man, I'm doing all this work and they don't even appreciate it. Um, send the message that failure is okay um, and that you're going to be there to help. And that if you have concerns as the leader, you're going to do it privately. You are not going to criticize them publicly, or even do it as a criticism. You're going to share a concern. Understanding your team will help reduce attrition and will promote their personal and professional growth. And you know, this made me think of the cost of turnover. 
you know, turnover is really upsetting, especially in a school, because you have kids involved. You know, each teacher has at least 20, 25 kids, you know, and if it's a high school teacher, that could be 125 kids, 150 kids who rely on that person. So from a culture point of view, turnover is really expensive, but it's also monetarily really expensive because the estimate in replacing that teacher is about one and a half times that person's salary. So if you can get to know your people's fears and address them, then you'll be able to help them feel, feel part of the team and flourish instead of feeling like they have to go somewhere else. So show them the benefits of your plan. You know, they talked a lot about features versus benefits. Um, you know, features are like this is what you're going to get out of it. Uh, benefits are like this is going to help make how it's going to make your life better. Show them the end result. Show them that vision by painting a picture of how lives are going to change through this program, the successes they're going to have, and and this will build hope. And you know, hope will buoy, buoy you through the roughest seas. When you have everyone working toward the same goal, you build that momentum, and that momentum brings that steam engine barreling down the future. And you know, so by addressing fears, you help people feel secure and confident that they can jump into the new program successfully and that they're not going to be worse off by doing so. And then when you actually show up and you don't criticize publicly, you do support, you do appreciate, then they're going to have hope and think, wow, this is really good. And then they're all in. And that's when you really get the momentum towards achieving the goal. Oh, I love it, yeah. And the disc, the disc of personality profile is so, so important. I mean, it's completely changed uh, my life. So here's, here's what we wanted to do for the folks who held on to the call to song, is we're going to give you one for free. Now, this, now this disc uh, profile <laughs> changed, changed my life. And Katie, we think it's so, so important. And this, oh, yeah. you know, value-wise, uh, you know, to buy one off of our website is uh, $75, right? You know, so it's, it's, so it's not overly expensive, but if I can tell you the way it changed me personally, professionally, the way I work with, um, you know, other team members as a, as a consultant and a coach, but really most importantly, how, how, I, how I live my life with my son and my daughter and most importantly my wife, to, to have a better understanding of how they are wired and how they see things, then I can change how I see things and how I communicate and how I lead. So if you email me at tom at lbleaders.com, we're going to give you a free disk personality profile. So, so all the, you just email me tom at lbleaders.com and just put free disk up top in a subject line, D-I-S-C. Uh, and then, and then what we'll do is we'll set you up with 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 the with the personality profile that best meets your needs. We have profiles for leadership and communication, and sales, and impact, and 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 all these aspects. And we're really excited because we now we have ones for college and career reports uh, for youth, uh, right? For if you're transitioning or heading into college. So so we're going to give one away. We're going to tie uh, back this uh, you know massive value. Uh, you know, back to people. So go ahead and email. Whether you're you're on the live, and we're going to keep this open for for just 48 hours, right? So from 20 for, from uh, 40 hours from today. Uh, so we'll do we'll do Monday at noon, say. So it's a little bit more than 48 hours. We'll do Monday at noon. That offer uh, uh, will end. But 
I just put disk, uh, free disk in your subject line. We're going to give it away because it's just it's so important. Uh, to, oh, it's uh, so valuable. It, so. I mean, it, yeah. it gave me such insight into how I was making everybody mad, <laughs> and I didn't even know it. So. <laughs> yep, yep. So, okay, so last point. Um, so if you don't know, uh, you know, John Maxwell, uh, number one leadership author in the world. He's you know, sold the most books on leadership of anybody. He just had a brand new book come out called Leadershift, Leadershift, which he told a great story about how some folks have mistitled it, mistitled it. but his Leadershift is the book. Um, and it's number three right now on the best-selling list. But Leadershifting, I'm going to teach you a little bit from it because we're about to start, Katie. As you know, we're about to launch our Leadership Mastermind book study uh, this upcoming Monday. Um, and we're, going to have, we're going to have a special offer for you here if you want to hop into that Leadership uh, book study with us, that Maxwell Mastery study. Uh, but Leadershifting is all about adapting rather than um, being content, right? Rather than conforming. A big difference between adapting and conforming. Because conforming is accepting, right? It's, it's living by default. It's being average. It's being fearful of rejection. But adapting is looking to succeed as you move towards your goals, your vision, and your dreams. And, and by moving forward, you learn, right? By stepping forward, you, you, know, you just learn. It's, and I remember it's so, it's so funny as John was talking about this and as I'm you know, reading this book, when I owned a painting company, you know, I inherited it. It was, you know, gifted down to me from, from a mentor. But the motto of the painting company was adapt, adjust, overcome. Adapt, adjust, overcome. So you may start seeing that at the bottom of my signature line because that was the most important, right? Anytime we had a problem, he would just say, hey, Tom, adapt, adjust, and overcome, right? He, he, he built that non-dependent, high-performing culture. We were a great a painting company for years. In fact, my really close friend, he still runs it uh, you know, 15 years later. Adapt, adjust, wow. overcome. So, so, how, so how you make successful adjustments is, is first is to understand that you have to learn and unlearn and relearn. Right? The literate of the 21st century won't be those who can't read and write and do arithmetic. It's those who can't learn and unlearn and relearn. Right, so that step is hmm. test, fail, re-enter, <laughs> fail again. Right, test. Fail. It's just a constant. Right, learn, unlearn, over. So, how you make uh, successful adjustments is to learn, unlearn, and relearn. Step one: understand the value of yesterday, but live in today, but think for tomorrow. Right, there's too many people that are telling me about what they did. You know, like being in education, I always hear about, you know, I was part of that, uh, that charter, you know, writing process back in 1994. I don't care. That's great. I value that. <laughs> what have you done for me today? And what are you, right. where are you going? You know, what are you thinking about in the future, right? So that, I, I, I love this, you know, part of the book because you're shifting through life, right? Every opportunity brings in a shift. So I've learned, unlearned, relearned. I value yesterday, live in today, and think for tomorrow. Number three is I rely on speed, okay, to thrive on that timing. Remember, you know, Katie, if you, didn't, if you didn't address that transition problem, it just would have gotten bigger and bigger. And from what I've learned, you've got to shovel the piles when they're small, right? So rely oh, yeah. on that speed 
Thrive on Timing is, is, is step three in this one chapter. I'm teaching one of the chapters from the book here. And, and, and part four is the big picture should get bigger and clearer as you move forward, right? As you test, fail, learn, relearn, and reenter, things are going to become more clear. If you don't do anything, if you have you know, a paralysis through analysis, you're, you, you know, you're not going to learn. Right? So even if you make a wrong step, it's better to make a no step at all because you're just going to learn. Right? You're going to learn that, oh, that's, that, that's not the way I want to go. Right? These are not the droids I'm looking for. So, so, so this whole book is about moving from goals to growth, right? to move from how long will it take to how far can I go? And that's what John talked about. He's like, I don't set goals anymore. He told that great story about the marathon that he just, in a 24-hour span, decided I'm yeah. going to do this half marathon tomorrow. And, and then he said, so I, you know, I, I had a goal, and I, you know, my goal was to not get taken off the course by the bus, and, and so I achieved that goal. But when I got to the finish line, I still had another mile to my hotel, and he's like, I don't, I don't get credit for that. And so when you finish something, it's done. It's done, right? I don't get credit for this extra mile. Bring me the golf caddy and you know, drive me, right? The golf cart and drive me. So move from how long? So he, he specifically said, remove the finish line in your life. Remove the finish line in your life. Take those goals out and focus on growth. Now you need goals to get there, right? There's little steps. But always have that vision of how far can I go? Because when you stop growing, there's consequences, right? Everything that you've learned that has been compounding over time, it stops and sometimes reverses because everything else is moving forward, right? They're moving past you. And I, right. and I think about this, just, it just came to, came to my awareness. When I played baseball in the league, I was feared. I was feared. Now, I didn't really work to get better, but as I got older and everybody else worked harder than I did, guess what happened, Katie? I was no longer feared. You throw me a fastball on the outside corner, I was out. It didn't matter. <laughs> right? So there's, there's consequences, right? And you can look at it, you, you know, your whole life. If, if you get a bachelor's degree and you're like, okay, I'm done, I'm just going to work here, you know, a bachelor's degree has a shelf life of like five years tops. So it's always about that that growth, right? So, so here's what so here's what we want to do, is that um, you know we're out of time, but so so I want to do something special for the people who are on the call live, and then and then the folks who listen to the call over the next you know day and a half or so, is that you know this this Maxwell Mastery program that we have where, where we're going to be studying this leadership book. You know, every two weeks we study two chapters of the book. And, and there's like-minded people on this virtual you know, call, this virtual telesummer, you know, just like you're on now, but there's a webinar component. And, and so every two weeks we discuss the chapter. There's, there's you know, learning points. There's uh, thinking points. There's, there's you know, homework, self-driven. You know, it's, it's, it's online and on demand, so you can learn at your own pace. Uh, so, we've, so what we've been doing is we've been studying five books since October. So every October we're going to kind of relaunch the program. So what, so what I've done, Katie, is, 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 is we're going to cut the price in half. So it's normally $199 to, to be with us and you know, study this book over five days. But, you know, and it's a massive value because it's going to build that growth plan. If you don't have a personal plan for growth, you know, this is it. We're going to study three books, uh, Leadership, 
Developing the Leaders Around You, and then No, no Limits are the next three books that we're going to do from now until October. So not only have we cut it in price, I've got, I've got a couple of signed copies of John's book, Leadership. For, it's you know, a limited. I only got a couple of them. So the first couple of people in, they get a signed copy of this book. I'll ship it to you, and, and, and you can start to hop on this journey with us, this growth uh, journey. Um, you know, studying this book first, and then and then the next books, and you actually have access to all the books we've done, right? So, so uh, I mean, if you think about it, it's a very small investment. You know, the book itself is twenty, you know, twenty-five dollars. It's signed by John, um, and then and then you have access to what everybody has already paid for, but you know, you don't have to pay for it, right? So, what we would love to do is invite anybody on this call to hop in. So you can go to our to our website, to our store, and there's going to be an email coming to you if you've got this information via email. It's going to come back out uh, to you. But you can go to our to our leaders building leaders page. Um, so it's 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 lbleaders.mykajabi.com forward slash store. I know that's that's hard, but I'll be posting it in the in the Facebook page. And, and also you should get an email about it. And then you go down to that Maxwell Master Leadership Series, and the price has already been changed for you at $99 for the next uh, 48 hours. Um, if it says $199, you can just type Leader Shift into the coupon box, and it will cut that price in half for you. But be, be uh, one of the first couple so you get a signed copy of, of John's of John's book. That will be awesome for you. And then you have lifetime access to it. You're going to have lifetime access to these, at least at minimum, these five books that you can always go back and restudy. You know, the five books were Intentional Living. Uh, we did we did uh, Developing the Leader Within You 2.0. You'll have Leadership. You'll have Developing the Leaders Around You and No Limits. Five books for $99, a lifetime. That's a good deal. Growth plan, absolutely. Is. So, so that'll be good until Monday morning at nine, because um, that's that's when that's you know technically when the study starts. Uh, so we're so we're going to leave it open. So, and then as a bonus, remember, everybody can get their free disc report. So you can just email me at tom at lbleaders.com, and you can honestly just email me at tom at lbleaders.com, and I'll make sure that you get the ninety-nine dollar offer, and I can make it super easy for you. Just email me. I'm in. And you've got it, and give me your address, and I'll ship a book if you're one of the first three. I believe I have three signed copies of this, of this book left. So Katie, hopefully this was helpful to you. And, and so if anybody has a question or a thought or a comment, we've got a, a bunch of folks on a call. Go ahead and hit star six and one, and that will bring you into the queue if you want to say hi or, or you know, ask a question. And you know, Katie, just you know, why don't you just you know, wrap up your thoughts and, and, and you know, recap what, what we've learned uh, today. Go ahead and go over your three uh, teaching points as you know, folks are maybe deciding whether they want to ask a question or not. Sure. You know, while you were talking about John's um, discussion about setting goals, you know, instead of setting goals to focus on growth, I was thinking about um, my husband and his college roommate. And you know, my husband has always said, I, don't, I never set goals. Uh, you know, I just look for the next, you know, the next area where I can grow. And so he reconnected with his college roommate a few years ago. Now his college roommate was like the picture of success. He always had good hair, nice car. You know, my <laughs> husband drove like a red Granada, you know, and it, it, was, it was a mess. Uh, mm -hmm. But so when my husband reconnected with him a few years ago, my husband drove up in his black Mercedes and Pete drove up in a Prius. Nothing wrong with the Prius. 
Um, but he just looks at Terry and he said, how are you driving the Mercedes? And I'm driving the Prius. He's like, something's gone really wrong here. And it turns out they work for the same company. They have both worked for the same company their entire career, and they didn't know that. He was in Maryland and we're here in, in North Carolina. And they went through their lives. Now, he's married with three kids. My husband's married with three kids. So they had some similarities. But in, you know, he, my, my husband has achieved a higher status within the bank, a much higher status within the bank than, than his college roommate. And they started talking about why. And Pete had set a goal to become an AVP. Well, guess what? He reached it. But he had nothing that he was seeing beyond that. And so he didn't reach, he hadn't at least at that point reached that, where my husband never had any such aspirations, and he, he reached way beyond that. So I just thought that that was such a, a great example of how, you know, if you're looking for growth and you stick to those areas where you want to grow, you're going to succeed and, and fly past any, any goals that you, that you might set along the way, um, you know, as leaders. But yeah, I really enjoyed I this time and, you know, thinking about uh, how, to, how to preempt those fears that our team brings to the table just because of their personality. You know, that if we can think about how we're going to help people feel appreciated and part of the team and, and feel secure and feel safe to fail and to try and, and to not get it right the first time and that that's okay, um, you know, talking to the, the most successful school leaders in North Carolina, what I hear them say the most is, we're not perfect, but we try, and we know what we're going after, and we, we go after it every single day. Those are the people who are, are achieving success in our state. Yep. You've got to be uh, perfect with your imperfections, right? You've got to mm -hmm. be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, leadership is hard, you know, period. So. Mm -hmm. Awesome, Katie. Well, look, so just to recap that, I'm going to make it super easy for you because I don't want you even to you know, stress about it. If you just email me at tom at lbleaders.com before Monday uh, the 18th at 9 a.m., you'll get uh, $99. You'll get uh, potentially a free book, a free signed book of leadership and you get access to a whole year of personal and professional growth through, through a, a book study uh, done by the, the number one leadership author in the world and, 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 and you know, led by certified John Maxwell coaches. If you want the disc, you've got it. Go ahead and, and, and just you know, put that in there, the disc, the disc report, and we'll you know, work with you, and we'll do a one-on-one -on -one, you know, coaching session. So, so just that in itself is a, is a you know, $300 uh, value as well. But, you know, you know, because you're an investor and we, and we know how much it's impacted our lives and we, we just want to make sure other people have that, have that awareness. So um, great learning today, uh, right? Choose the problem, find a change warrior, right? And communicate, right? And, and start to work towards building that non-dependent, high-performing culture. So we believe in you and we believe in your dreams. So I'm going to end... Katie, I think I'm going to make this my new tagline, and everybody heard it here first. It's, it's my old tagline, but my new tagline. Adapt, adjust, and overcome. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm. Have a great day. Thank you.